Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions." And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would... Convict our hearts and teach us about your, your Lord's Day, your Sabbath, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So as we just heard, included in the, in the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is a commandment to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here's the entire text of that command, which we need to get into our heads. Because our text in Luke deals with that particular day and the practice of Jesus and his disciples. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day was instituted by God to be a day of rest. Rest from the labors that would occupy us the other six days of the week. This is the pattern we see from God himself in his labor of creation. And it is to be imitated by us to the praise and glory of God. God did this originally. He worked six days. On the seventh day, we're told, he rested. Whatever that means, right? Whatever that means, there was a distinction even in God's labor on those days. Not only was the day to be a day of rest, it was to be a day when we take delight in the Lord, right? When we worship him, a day of rest for the purpose of worship. In Isaiah 58, we read, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, 
and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a glorious passage. If you desist from your own way and you worship God, he will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Again, what does that mean? It sounds great. Whatever it means, it sounds great. To ride on the heights of the earth, to to take in the glories of God from the, the peaks of mountains. Right In our passage this morning, we read of the Pharisees picking a fight with Jesus and his disciples as they were continually doing, uh, as they continually did during Jesus' ministry. They've recently accused Jesus of blasphemy. They've accused Jesus of sinning by eating with sinners. They've um, accused him of disregarding the duty of fasting. Now, like little kids sneaking around to catch their siblings taking cookies out of a cookie jar, the Pharisees see that the disciples of Jesus are picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands to expose the kernel, right? And eating them on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And then, on another Sabbath day, they catch Jesus doing some other work on the Sabbath healing a man with a disfigured and unusable hand. The Pharisees and their scribes think they have found Jesus sinning, that he is now breaking the God's commandment. They were, as, as verse 7 says, watching him closely so that they might find reason to accuse him. Everywhere Jesus goes, the scribes and Pharisees are standing around the, the periphery taking notes so that they might have reason to bring him up on charges. Notice in verse 11 what it says, when Jesus does not bow to their accusations, the scribes and Pharisees, it says, are filled with rage, right? Filled with madness. And discuss together what they might do to Jesus. Jesus does does not conform. And they no longer want just to catch him in something so that they might have an accusation against him. They just want to do something to him, right? They now just want to kill him, find him sinning in such a way that they can just immediately kill him, skip the whole judicial process. They want him dead and gone so, so that he won't violate their precious traditions, In the book of John, we read of a healing Jesus did on the Sabbath day. John chapter 5, starting at verse 5, it says, A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. 
But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the not exactly what we expect Jesus to say right there, right? Stop sinning. You, you've been ill because you've sinned. Now stop sinning and you will be well. So there may be a connection between sin and illness, right? The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So to the Pharisees, the popular religious leaders of the day, right? The celebrity Christians of Jesus' time in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. To them, Jesus is a blaspheming Sabbath breaker who deserves to die. To the Pharisees, Jesus hates the things of God. To the Pharisees, Jesus is a dangerous example for the younger generation. To the Pharisees, Jesus is impious and lawless. To the Pharisees, Jesus is stepping all over that which they consider the most important. The most important thing, Sabbath observance. But who is Jesus and what does the scripture say? He is the Lord of the Sabbath. They're accusing Jesus of being the ultimate Sabbath breaker, and yet he is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? So the Pharisees are calling Jesus a lawless Sabbath breaker, and in reality, not only is he not a lawless Sabbath breaker, he is above the Sabbath, right? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath. He's Lord of it. When the worlds were spoken into existence by God, Jesus rested on that original seventh day, right? And it was by his determination that the Sabbath entered into the patterns established for man. It's by his authority, right? The fourth commandment is Jesus' commandment. He laid out the pattern at the foundation of the world and then dictated it to Moses and to all generations on Mount Sinai. And the blind Pharisees are foaming at the mouth because of, as they see it, his willful disregard of the Sabbath command. Jesus, though, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath. He rules the Sabbath. So in the first scene, the Pharisees essentially accuse Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath by doing the work of harvesting and threshing the grain on the Sabbath day. Jesus counters their accusations by bringing up a time in the history of Israel when David broke the command of God and was innocent. He broke the command of God and was not hold guilty, held guilty for breaking that command. Leviticus then says this about the bread of the presence of the temple. 
every every Sabbath day, he shall eat it, the bread, in order before the he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy to him from the Lord's offering by fire, his portion forever. But here is what happened and how David and his men broke that command. First Samuel 21 says, Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and, and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with the matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to, be put, in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now is this to break the command of God? The only people who were to eat that bread were Aaron and his sons, the priests. Is David a son of Aaron? No, he is not. And so this is to break the command of God. Yet David was morally innocent in that deed, especially given it's used as an example here. But if you look at Jesus' words, Jesus says, have you not read this? But then he doesn't give any explanation, right? He doesn't say, He doesn't talk about the moral law. He doesn't talk about the commands and the sacrifices and the the temple work. He just leaves it as this sort of open question. Have you not heard? You know, responding to their accusations, saying, well, let me raise you one. What about this example where David went in and ate the consecrated bread and Jesus says, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone. So this was a a breaking of that command, but it it was... He was morally innocent. Why was David innocent of the breaking of the law? Here's the answer. Because, as it says in Matthew, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a means to an end, not an end in itself, like the Pharisees had made it. Right? And that end is the worship and service of God. That is the purpose of the Sabbath. We are given rest so that we might worship and serve God. And... What is David, what David says, um, what David says in that passage, you remember, is that he's engaged in, in um, performing the service of the Lord, right? He's been commanded by the king to perform the service of the Lord, right? So he's doing some work for the Lord. He's performing service of the Lord. Edersheim, old commentator that I, I, I like, says, The Sabbath law was not one merely of rest, but of rest for worship. The service of the Lord was the object in view. The priest worked on the Sabbath because this service was the object of the Sabbath. And David was allowed to eat of the showbread, not because there was danger to life from starvation, but because he pleaded that he was on the service of the Lord and needed this provision. 
The disciples, when following the Lord, were similarly on the service of the Lord, ministering to him, was more than ministering in the temple, for he was greater than the temple. If the Pharisees had believed this, they would not have questioned their conduct, nor in so doing have themselves infringed that higher law which enjoined mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus cites this example to point out the error of the Pharisees. They do not understand the spirit of the law. They only see the letter of the law. They don't understand the purpose of the fourth commandment. In their zeal to keep it, they've destroyed it, right? The Sabbath has become their master rather than a means to an end, right? The Sabbath is their Lord, not the Lord of the Sabbath being their Lord. While they were wrongly zealous for the fourth commandment, this is... This is the irony. Where they were wrongly zealous for the fourth commandment, they also clearly ignored other commandments. That indeed is how it goes with legalists. They choose one or two laws to follow, and in their zeal to promote those laws, cast out the rest of the laws as being superficial. They, as Ryle put it, are hypocrites who attach excessive importance to trifles. It is a bad symptom of man's state of soul when he begins to put the second things in religion in the first place and the first things in the second or the things ordained by man above the things ordained by God. I've known some who are so zealous to say that Christians should never drink, never ever drink alcohol. And their motives are genuine when they consider the dangers. But they're so zealous to make that statement that they will slander and lie in order to attack other Christians who believe God's word teaches that it's not a sin. Right? And so they, they pick the one big thing that they're hooked on and they're willing to break the, the other commands and diminish them. Um, on the other hand, Scripture says that if by drinking I cause, you know, one brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again, right? Paul says, if my eating meat causes one brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. And we have to remember that as well. Isn't that, but, but here's the Pharisees. Isn't that what the Pharisees have done with Jesus in this situation? They are frothing at the mouth in regard to Jesus' seeming break, seeming breaking of the Sabbath that they forget about the sixth commandment, which says, you shall not murder. They want to kill him. They want to kill him for breaking the Sabbath. Do you think Jesus had the Pharisees, as well as you and I in mind, when he said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Of course he's thinking of the Pharisees here. It's exactly what they're saying about him. Now, here's another backdrop for this first scene. Deuteronomy says this, Deuteronomy 23, 25. It says, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So if you go into your neighbor's field and you're in there and you're hungry, you can, you can pluck the grain by your hand, but you can't go in there and start harvesting the crop with tools. This passage clearly teaches, at the very least, that there's a difference between collecting with your hands and harvesting with a tractor or harvesting with a tool, an implement. 
There's a difference between hand harvesting and sickle harvesting. One is not a violation of God's law, and the other is a violation of God's law. And applying that passage to what Jesus' disciples are doing, even especially on the Sabbath day, they are not even guilty of harvesting. Right? The Pharisees have built laws around laws around laws, fences around fences, moats around moats, and missed the point entirely. Missing the point entirely is what is clearly demonstrated in the second scene. What Jesus is doing, healing a man who is suffering from a withered hand, is not a violation of the Sabbath day. The law allowed for priests and others to do works of mercy on the Sabbath day. Now, what about us? Okay, so we have these examples here. And what about us? And it seems like this whole passage is militating against the Sabbath. A few things. The fact that Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath means that there is still a Sabbath. He's the Lord of it. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. The fourth commandment does not die. It is not ceremonial in its content. Right? It just adjusts with the coming of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, therefore it doesn't matter how you treat the Sabbath or whether you regard it at all. Right? No, the wrong use of the Pharisees does not negate the proper use of the Sabbath. Again, Adersheim says, we are not free to do anything we please, but we are free to do anything needful or helpful while we are doing any service to Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, whom we serve in and through the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest in the service of God. The Sabbath exists, why? Why does the Sabbath exist? That we might be free to worship, that we might be free to serve God. Right? What goes in that direction is legitimate. What goes in another direction is forbidden. Okay, here's where the rubber meets the road for some of us. The fourth commandment is broken when we make somebody else work for us when we are not in the service of Christ. Okay, so I don't go out to restaurants on the Sabbath day as a general rule. A general rule. But there are times when I consider going to a restaurant to be service of Christ, and so I will do it on a Sabbath. The Christian Sabbath. If somebody new to the church or new to the faith invites me to go to lunch with them on the Sabbath, I will not there at that point become rigid about Sabbath observance and put laws around laws and fences around fences. Right? I rather view that exception as Jesus did on the disciples harvesting and reaping. I will go, but that going fits into larger picture of doing works in the service of God that I'm called to as a pastor and that we're called to as Christians. It's for the purpose of discipleship and evangelism, for instance. But if my going out to eat on the Sabbath is in the service of my gut or my deep, deep love of cheap Mexican, well, that's different. That's an entirely different matter, right? That is a decision to serve myself and and to have others serve me who's serving myself for my own pleasure. That is a decision to serve myself, and there are six other days of the week for that, in a sense, where we can serve ourselves. So you see how one man's going out to eat can be a keeping of the Sabbath, and another man's can be a breaking of it. 
The Sabbath was made for man that we might be free to enjoy and worship and serve God. So many people want to view this passage, though, as a reason to throw out the fourth commandment. But Jesus never says anything about the fourth commandment ending, right? But he does correct the abuses of that day that that were being committed by the Pharisees. The Sabbath had become an enormous burden because of the layer upon layer of little laws that they added onto it. Don't pick up a... You couldn't pick up anything that weighed more than a gallon of water or something. If you left your house, you had to detach a string from your house to wherever you went to a certain distance so that you didn't go past that distance. Right? All these things just be, made the Sabbath into this horrible day. Right? It became a horrible day, not about worshiping God, but simply about um, how do I not break this command? How do I not break this command? How do, and so they just made all these silly, silly laws. I'm, I'm sure some of you know other ones, um, but they're not keeping coming to my mind right now. But it, So the Pharisees made this a terrible, terrible burden. Um, but that doesn't mean there isn't a right observance of the day of rest. A simple guiding principle for you and for me would be to ask whether what we are giving ourselves over to on Sunday is done in the service of Christ or in the service of self? Just ask yourself that question. Is this being done in service to Christ out of love for your Lord? Or is this being done out of love for your flesh or love for um, pleasure? And another, is Sunday different than the other six days? Is your Sunday different than the other six days? Well, it is if you've come here this morning. You don't do that the other six days of the week, and, and that's good. But, when you, but your personal time, right, outside of church, is that different than other days? You may think that those are too broad of, of questions to ask and that we need to bring it in a bit, but I don't think so. I think that is what this passage is teaching us. The disciples are and were refreshed just as David was in the service of the Lord. Jesus relieved the suffering of the men with the, the man with the withered hand to the, his glory and as a testimony to his power. What the Pharisees did was all in service to self. Right? Keeping the laws they had, keeping their own laws that they had placed around the law, which had very little to do with the original law. Making the Sabbath a burden and not a delight. Fathers, have you made the Sabbath day a delight to your families? A delight, right? Have you made sure that the attitude of your family is one where there is excitement and anticipation for the preaching of God's word, for the fellowship of the saints, for the, 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 the difference of the day, for the feasting even of the day? Right? Feasting on God's word, feasting on his provision. But our tendency is probably not like the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Right? Our tendency is not like the, the Pharisees at all to, to put laws around laws around laws and to go beyond what Scripture says. Our tendency is more likely to abuse the liberty which Christ has given us. Right? To disregard what Scripture says about the Lord's day. Ryle. 
puts it this way. He says, there's little risk of our committing the error of the Pharisees and keeping the Sabbath more strictly than God intended. The thing to be feared is the general disposition to neglect the Sabbath and to rob it of that honor which it ought to receive. Let us take heed to ourselves in this matter. Let us beware of making God's day a day for visiting, journeying, working, pleasure parties, right? These are not works of necessity or mercy, whatever a self-willed and unbelieving world may say. The person who spends his Sundays in such ways as these is sinning a great sin and proving himself unprepared for the great rest in heaven. Now think about it. Examine yourself. Give this some reflection. Our Sabbath should be very simple. Rest, worship, and legitimate service. Rest, worship, legitimate service. As Elder Wolf has reminded us, the session has ordered this day so that you can fulfill that call to worship the Lord. If Trinity is worshiping as a body on the Lord's day, you should feel terrible if you're not here. Because if you're not here for a good reason, it is sin. It's sin, right? The elders have called you to this by participating in the announced weekly worship of God's people. And that, dear brothers and sisters, should be no burden to any of us, right? It should be no burden. Um, If you're feeling like that's an onerous burden right now, then I would ask you to examine your hearts, examine your motives. It is here so that you can hear, evening service is here so that you can receive the word preached. God may speak to you through that sermon, right? God may just have a word that convicts your heart through the preaching of his word. And so that should be no burden. That should be the, the, the glory. That should be the excitement that you live for through the week to come on this day of rest and to hear from God himself. Right? Let the pastors and the church serve you on that day. I get to work without breaking that commandment. Right? I get to work. You get to receive. Be here to receive that. Let me do my work, right? Let, let God bless the work of my hands so that we can gather back together and hear the word of the Lord. And may, through that, may our Sabbath observance lead to rest for our souls. Rest to our souls, fuel for our week, right? Joy in the spirit that lasts last every minute of every day as we serve God. So think about your Sabbaths. Are you more like the Pharisees who, who make it so rigid that it's a, there's no rest at all on that day? Or are you more like, I think, most of us on the other side, the, these sort of antinomians who, who just throw it entirely away and do whatever and and disregard that there are obligations that God puts us under on these days for our good, for our building up. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your rich blessing toward us. Father, that your son conquered sin and is now awaiting to destroy all your enemies and welcome into your presence all 
your people, chosen before the foundation of the world, Father, is glorious. And we are thankful that we have this day to set our minds on things above and not the things of the earth, so that we may serve you and worship you and rest in you. Father, we do look forward to the eternal Sabbath, eternity of rest and joy and comfort and peace and protection. Lord, we thank you for calling us into the kingdom of your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.